0: And welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Anna.
1: And my name is Ellen. And in today's episode, we are discussing Book 3, Chapter 7, Helm's Deep, discussing power in community. Anna, I'm reading today's chapter, and Mm -hmm. this quote stands out to me. I'll read it to you now. Mm Mm-hmm. But oft the unbidden guest proves oh. the best company. Thank you so much for bringing this to our attention, because <laughs> I I think it. that's true.
0: No, And I wrote in my notes. Hang on, I wrote in my notes. <laughs> Hot take to disagree with Aomer. <laughs> but that is
1: not true. <laughs> I'm glad it stood out to you, too, because I read that, and I underlined it, and I was like trying to think of a time in my life. When an unbidden guest has proven the best company, truly could not think of a single time. We are both millennials. If I can't track
0: your approximation to my door, Mm -hmm. don't be there. like I need to prepare myself mentally, especially in the last two years, for social interaction. Absolutely. And then usually when people show up, it's like a... I don't know. It's just I had to
1: disagree so very fervently with that quote that I'm so glad you started with that. I know it was. I was like, mm, "How should we kick off today's discussion?" And I'm like, "Oh, I know. Debating Aylmer's wisdom because I don't. I don't need an unbidden guest." Fully agree, mm-hmm. and I. <laughs> I do
0: want to uh, draw our attention to perhaps the seeming irony of a mm. community building podcast, wherein we set exclusive terms about how community can be right. building and where. And as someone with just a modicum of social anxiety and also a planner, mm-hmm. these two things intersect to make spontaneity, I would say, one of my weaker skills. Mm-hmm. So you get the best of me when those two things, when we're not at the intersection of those two
1: interactions. See, I want to host thoughtfully, and if you surprise mm-hmm. me with your presence, then mm-hmm. I cannot do that. Mm-hmm. I'm reading this book right now called The Art of Gathering. Definitely yes. would recommend. So good, so mm-hmm. good but she talks about owning your host's authority and all this stuff. And I'm like, I cannot live up to all of these ideals as being a good host if you just pop in, you know? Give me a, give me a little bit of warning.
0: Right, and I would say that the common misconception is that when you plan something for people to get together, that it loses any of the genesis or natural feeling of a conversation. And what I would say is that is unlikely to be true, especially when you have a lot of different personalities in the Mm -hmm. room. That planning, I think, really facilitates a stronger interaction of people who might not otherwise be able to do that in kind of a natural way. So with thoughtful planning, you can really take some of those pieces into consideration and do a much more effective job of greasing the social wheels for deeper connection or sort of a level setting for relationship building.
1: That being said, if I'm ever in a, in a fight, in a scrap, and Gimli mm. wants to jump in behind me and save me, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that unbidden guest. In that situation, please proceed.
0: Yes, and I will say that there are people who could not be unbidden to me. (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. So in that regard, like if you ever showed up at my door, in particular, if you ever showed up at my door and like also had pizza, Mm -hmm. there would be very little concern from me about why you're here. I don't feel that same level of need to like plan and manage and monitor. But just for any person to do that, I think would not be receive the same level of flexibility from me
1: yeah that's what i wanted to bring to the group aomer we love him we think he's great but he is just wrong in this little maxim that he tries to display during the battle in today's chapter absolutely well what are we talking about today we are talking about helms deep and we're talking about power in community do you have a story that relates to today's theme to share with the listeners?
0: I do. And it's another one where we can laugh at young, precocious, but also very uptight Anna. Mm. So just mm-hmm. take that framework and let's jump in. The year is probably 2002, Perfect. 2003. And I am some sort of crossing guard for our elementary school. Safety patrol. It was called safety patrol. Safety patrol. Thank you very much. Yes, I could not recall the name. So as a safety patrol officer, we have a variety of tasks that were usually like early morning and uh, late afternoon as far as before and after school. So you would like facilitate safely dropping off children, you know, parents pulling up, kids getting out of cars. Like, you were just kind of there to monitor. Let's be honest, it was a lot of kids who some sort of additional responsibility would really allow them to thrive. Rules were involved, so I was very interested. And of course, there was some sort of sash and possibly even a notebook of some sort that would allow you to really exude authority as, like, a nine-year-old. And you also had the power to hand out demerits. It was awesome. I was thriving and also a bit probably power mad, I'm going to be honest. So one day on patrol, I saw one of my fellow guards messing around. Again, we were, like, between the ages of eight and ten, so that was likely to happen. And I saw the tomfoolery and then went to my supervisor to issue this young man a demerit and i still know his name i won't say it on air but i feel so bad about this still so i believe the demerit process involved like writing out what i saw what i thought was a reasonable punishment on a pink slip and then that was either like facilitated by or the meeting was the supervisor teacher role, advisor, if you will, myself and this other student. And (laughs) it's just, when I thought about power, I thought about this story kind of immediately because I felt like even in this small moment, I was wielding my power really unilaterally. And that didn't feel like a good move now that I've like moved on in my life, right? And also am in a situation where for work, I do a lot of the same sort of thing. So I work in human resources and am often in a position where there's a rule to apply. There's a person to talk to about it. There's an explanation to have. And I think that's the piece that's missing is that in this demerit that I handed out, I really didn't like have a direct conversation with my patrol peer about, what he had done, why I had seen this, why I was concerned. We just like immediately went to the, you've broken a rule. This is an infraction. And so now there's a sort of punitive step to take. And, and I was kind of thinking about that again in juxtaposition with my current career and that I, I'm still in a position where that sometimes is necessary. And I'm also in a position to really acknowledge that there's, like, power in the community. There are a lot of different ways why rules don't work, right? Rules are written by people. People are fallible. And so sometimes our rules are fallible. And so I was just kind of thinking about that in regard to this demerit that I issued to this poor eight-year-old. And then what that did for the two of us. Like, I always felt like there was a little bit of awkwardness the remainder of that school year. Because I was the snitch who, like, got him in trouble. And, like, didn't really have to have a conversation with him about it. I felt really justified that I had given this demerit. And then I was, like, heady with power for the rest of the time. Because I was, like, you know, I was upstanding. I was the one who enforced the rules. And there really wasn't much of a relationship built between the two of us as a result. And so that's kind of what I was thinking about as I was thinking about power is that there's so much power in community that when we miss an opportunity to have more of a conversation, I think we miss the opportunity to actually make lasting impact and to build much more of a relationship than when we're so focused on right or wrong as defined by, you know, something written down somewhere.
1: I don't have that story but I see myself in it Mm -hmm. and definitely wielding your power in a way that is unilateral is not always the best way to build community unless of course you're doing it like in protection of a third party that needed your power and your privilege to succeed right it's a good story to bring to the group and I'm glad I'm glad you you had that that anecdote ready to share Great story about power. Thank you. I really appreciate you bringing that in and uh, share, sharing that little trip down memory lane with me and the listeners. An indelible part of our childhood. Those of our safety <laughs> patrol monitors.
0: <laughs> oh, y'all, we've always been nerds. That oh, is, God, we are nerds.
1: We are nerds. That is the conclusion
0: to take away here. <laughs> Um, so with that said, fellow nerd, Ellen, mm-hmm. would you like to run us through what even happened in today's chapter?
1: Yes, and before, oh, God, I gotta collect myself there. Before <laughs> I, uh, I get to the the chapters. I want to share, we learned a little bit more about the Roheran language in this chapter that lingus is sort of like a group of people plural. Because we've now had the Erlingus, so the, 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 the people of the House of Errol, and then here we get the Helmlingus, which is like the people of Helmsdeep. Mm-hmm. And so I amused myself by thinking of like all of the different things that you could add lingus to, to the end of, and would just there's just a mm-hmm. lot there are a lot of nouns out there that you can toss that onto. So I wanted to start with that. Sure. But this um this chapter is just full of details, and so we're gonna take a, an eagle's eye view, if you will, so that we can get through it and get to some of our meteor discussion and theme examples. So at the start of this chapter, we are with Theoden, Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Gandalf, and Theoden's men. They are riding out to battle from Theoden's. Uh, kingdom in, in Rohan. But they meet a scout who tells them that they are really just a little bit too late to meet this battle that's happening. And because of this, because they hear that the battle that they're riding out to is going poorly, that they're too late, Gandalf advises that the team goes to Helm's Deep, which is like a stronghold in the mountains, he says they can hole up there and really defend themselves, defend the country. Gandalf rides off truly into the unknown. We, we're not entirely sure where he's going, he just says, see you later, I gotta go take care of some stuff. So then everybody makes it to Helm's Deep, sort of fortify themselves in, and together they, they all decide to make a stand. The orcs come upon them in Helm's Deep, orcs just like as far as the eye can see and the battle does not go well. For a while they're holding them off but then Saruman has made explosives and with these new inventions is able to literally blast his way through the defenses through the stone and make it into sort of the the first area of defense. Our star of the show Aragorn ends up in a tower with Theoden, Legolas, and Theoden's men. And they're talking about how they aren't going to win. They're, you know, trapped in like badgers in a hole. Theoden has his good speech about what can men do against such reckless hate, but then decides that they are going to make a stand and ride out to meet the dawn and make a grand last stand. So they do this, and as they're riding out and slashing through everybody, they find two good strokes of luck. The first is that the trees have come, and that they are penning in the orcs on one side. And that the second is that Gandalf has returned, and what he had done, we learn, is ridden out to this battle that was going ill turned the tide, gathered all of those men, and then brought them to Helm's Deep as a set of reinforcements. So with those three people on each side and then sort of like a hill wall thing on the other side, all of the orcs are penned in and are defeated at the end of the chapter. So many things. So many so things. So many things have happened. And I know, and I left out like all of the good tiddly bits on the inside of like, ooh hoo we're counting how many orcs we've killed and Gimli jumping behind... Aomer and Aragorn to help slash down, hew some some orc necks. So there's a lot of good action that happens in there that I I skipped over so that we can just get the the high points.
0: Right. I think it's fun. I'll note too about the trees is that Tolkien had reworked basically an event of Macbeth. So in this Shakespearean play, one of the prophecies concerning Macbeth is that he will not be defeated until this like wood around the castle comes to comes to his place comes to his hall. Mm. And the prophecy was fulfilled when men carrying tree branches attack Macbeth. Mm-hmm. And Tolkien found this deeply unsatisfying. <laughs> And so he created Ents and was like, nope, the trees move of their own accord Mm -hmm. and they're going to become really important in this chapter. So I thought that was a fun little backstory.
1: That's a great backstory. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I love that. I have the the line. on. This is not my talking with Tolkien. This is just a a quote that I like. Well, I guess that's kind of what talking with Tolkien is. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it says here in the book that the men cowered and that they were in terror of the king and in terror of the trees. The orcs were. And I, I mm-hmm. like that in terror of the trees. <laughs> right. As one should yeah, be. Yes. They're big. They're gonna stomp you. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the overview, but let's let's go ahead. Let's dive in even deeper. Get into the good parts. How about you walk us through some of the examples that you brought about today's theme throughout the chapter? So Lots
0: of different permutations and nuances to power in the chapter, so I'm going to try and kind of name them as I talk about them. So, the first ones that we come across are, like, the ability to do something. Mm. So that's right away, page 141 in my chapter, with Legolas's ability to, like, see. He has this, like, these keen eyes... And, quote, they can tell a sparrow from a finch a league off. Tell me, can you see anything away yonder towards Isengard? Legolas's power, his ability, is something that he's contributing to the larger group to advance their scouting abilities, to enhance their, their trip to wherever they're going. Shortly after that, we get the word power for the first time, Mm -hmm. and it says, quote, It is not mist or cloud that defeats my eyes. There is a veiling shadow that some power lays upon the land, and it marches slowly downstream. Mm -hmm. So in this regard, power becomes a little bit more of an abstract concept, and it definitely has a more negative connotation than some of the other examples from the chapter. But it's kind of this overbearing, ominous cloud Mm -hmm. that's shadowing the land
1: is it legolas that says that or gandalf
0: i believe it's legolas and that's what he's able to see with his super keen eyes. yeah
1: so it's like the two powers Mm -hmm. are up against each other
0: right okay so those were sort of the first two right away we get a juxtaposition of sort of positive ability and then negative curse like thing so then page 144 we have the power of information so folks are kind of chatting about getting to Helm's Deep and Eomer says quote there are caves in Helm's Deep where hundreds may lie hid and secret ways lead thence up onto the hills and Theoden spits back quote trust not to secret ways said the king Saruman has long spied out this land so Saruman has this like additional information so one that information allows Saruman to be more powerful because he's got this kind of insider knowledge and this otherwise powerful position that Helm's Deep has had is now less powerful because it's kind of known it's common knowledge and so they don't have that reserve to protect them
1: it's like here's my metaphor to tie this in it's like mm-hmm. when there's a new restaurant or a bar and it's still a little bit unknown and that's part of its power, its allure, is that it's a little bit secret. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as everybody knows about it, it's lost that power. Right. That's what your, your story there about Helm's Deep made me think of.
0: Yes, very apt. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> the uh, Helm's Deep speakeasy is no longer cool. Saruman knows about it.
0: OK, but also, do I super want a Holmsteve speakeasy yes. now? Yes. Because that sounds great. That would be
1: so <laughs> good. It could be like dark cave, crystal on the inside. Right. Oh my gosh. Million dollar idea. We've patented it.
0: Nobody yeah, else can do trademarking
1: it. we're that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how that works. <laughs> yeah, you have to just say patent, patent, patent three times in a mirror, and then it's yours. Yeah, it's like Beetlejuice. Yes, that's okay. exactly right.
0: All right, moving on, now that we've <laughs> solved that problem. Okay, through pages 148 to 151, into maybe even 155, there are lots of descriptions about the total number of orcs, as you, as you named. And at least in two different descriptions, in both, they're compared to the sea. On page 148... Quote, they wavered, broke, and fled back, and then charged again, broke, and charged again, and each time, like the incoming sea, they halted at a higher point. So I think in that there's sort of this implicit power, right? Because you think of the sea or the ocean as being this sort of untamable, powerful force. And so comparing these numbers to such a vast, unwieldy power, I think really drove home for me how how many and how dire the situation is for for the folks at Helm's Deep. Because then again, on page 151, it says, quote, Against the deeping wall, the hosts of Isengard roared like a sea. So again, another very direct comparison to that unwieldy character, the sea.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So in between those two examples, we have sort of this rising tide of orcs, this massive power in numbers, and we see Aragorn, as you've noted, the star of our show, attempting to rally the troops, quite literally, and by middle to late page 149 quote charging from the side they hurled themselves upon the wild men. andaril rose and fell gleaming with white fire a shout went up from wall and tower andaril andaril goes to war the blade that was broken shines again So sort of this rallying cry and power in naming something almost mystical to the men of Helm's Deep as a way to renew their hope. And, And Aragorn sort of tries to do this a couple of times in these little furtive moves that he's making with his smaller group to try and raise the spirits of men while also trying to stem the tide of the total number of orcs.
1: Yeah, he's really using the power of the legend that's around him. Everyone knows Anduril and the blade that was broken and that he is he is the king that will rise again. And I, I think he's using the, the power of, of that to, to rally the troops and get people hopeful. Yeah, get people hopeful mm-hmm. and excited to fight and defend because they have this right. great, powerful figure on their side.
0: Well, and we know that, you know, like anything else, our brains can sometimes be our biggest weapon, but can also sometimes be our greatest failing. Mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. if our brains are tired and we're exhausted and we're kind of in that spiral of, we can't do any more, I don't have anything left in me, to really attest to hope, to really sort of spur someone's heart and mind can sometimes be enough to make it another five minutes Mm -hmm. right and so that's what aragorn's trying to do here is like hey i'm not making any promises but like for the next 10 minutes you can do this this is amazing he's
1: like a peloton instructor
0: yes that's Mm -hmm. exactly right he is shouting at you from your screen on your little cycle bike yes and you believe him for that next 10 minutes you can
1: do anything for 10 minutes you
0: can do anything for 10 minutes okay next example (laughs) page 155 as you've noted the orcs have a new power quote but the orcs have brought a devilry from orthonk said aragorn they have a blasting fire and with it they took the wall so saruman's like devising all kinds of crazy stuff in isengard and sending it out into the world and so this is like the very first time that helms deep is like oh blasting bombs are a thing now that's new I don't know how to protect from that. And just, like, the sheer force of it and the lack of precision must have been just something to kind of reckon with. Like, it's just exploding and it's making all kinds of things worse.
1: <laughs> yeah, Saruman is starting his own industrial revolution here and nobody is prepared to fight back against the, the new powers that he has coming out of Orthonk. Right.
0: My last three examples are all, like, the last two pages of the chapter. Mm-hmm. So, as you'd noted, Théoden says, quote, "But I will not end here, taken like an old badger in a trap." And then he goes on to say, quote, "Will you ride with me then, son of Aerathorn? Maybe we shall cleave a road or make such an end as we will be as will be worth a song if any be left to sing of us hereafter." And I think this is a really important power to me, and that's the power of choice. So the situation has not changed. He doesn't have more men. He doesn't have more energy. The orcs are not becoming less relentless. But for King Theoden to make the decision to end on his own terms, he feels like he has some control in a, a situation where he's otherwise pretty—there's there, not a lot of control to be had. And so that just really kind of left me thinking about how powerful it is to be able to choose for yourself— even if the choices aren't great.
1: I love that. I feel like he, his power is increased because he is choosing this. And it makes me mm-hmm. want to think about moments in my life where I don't step into my own power and I like choose to abdicate and give the decision making to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. I, I want to be like the house of Errol the Young and step in and choose to ride out. Right.
0: So, then they they do write out fourth Aerolingus. Yes. And that's sort of in the last charge. So, on page 157 into 158, It says, quote, On they rode, the king and his companions, captains and champions, fell or fled before them. Neither orc nor man withstood them. So again, there's just sort of this power and, like, renewed energy and this belief that we're doing something for ourselves. We're taking a stand. And that really seems to ignite a little bit of the spark needed for this next almost chance encounter out on the battlefield because they have no way of knowing that the forest has moved, it's been nighttime, and they didn't know, and then Gandalf's now going to be there. Um, and so they were kind of doing, making this decision a bit in a vacuum, and it's still just as powerful for them to kind of write out again on their own terms. And so I just kind of liked the way that it was not just Theoden making that decision, but also the folks who rally behind him.
1: Yeah, something that I had forgotten that is in the movie and not in the book is that Gandalf does not tell them to look for him on the dawn of the third day or what have you he's just like right. I'll see you guys later <laughs> peace
0: and then bails and they're like okay I hope, I hope
1: that he's not abandoning us right and then comes in with with Eric and Brand and, yes. and you're right it is just a total chance encounter that everyone happens right. to be out there the yeah, there are time. no walkie-talkies no. in this situation mm-hmm. there is
0: no left and right flank knowing what's happening mm-hmm. this is like truly we are making a decision based on what we can see around right. us and that's it and
1: even then like we're doing it in the dark like the literal dark right literal so dark we want right to out right and right, right, the right. Dawn. we don't want to wait for the dawn and then mm-hmm. ride out <laughs> right no that would be too easy
0: okay and then the last example is just exactly what you had said about the trees so quote great trees bare and silent stood rank on rank with tangled bough and hoary head their twisted roots were buried in the long green grass so we're seeing sort of this power and numbers competing with and it's an i think to your point earlier about the sort of industrial revolution nature of like blasting power and Trebuchets and all of these kind of medieval yes, instruments.
1: Instruments of war.
0: Right. And then you see the forest, right? So very natural power. And then you have this kind of great juxtaposition between natural strength versus what is very, very new, right? Like these orcs and the urukai are like brand spanking new out of Isengard, mm-hmm. just fresh into the world competing against these things that are old and slow and kind of take some time. So I just kind of like that juxtaposition in that the trees have this very dignified, like there's this revelation of, okay, the darkness lifts, dawn is coming, and now here's this massive forest that wasn't there before. And they stand just proud and tall and tree-like and it changes the whole
1: thing. Yeah, Tolkien really values the power of earth and of nature over anything else Mm -hmm. we see that like with tom bombadil his power there's no power in him that's not from the earth himself and he's maybe the most powerful character we meet in the series Mm -hmm. and the the way that the two sides are shown against each other with saruman having all of these new inventions and you know pushing forward into the future and Gandalf gets his power from, from looking back and looking deeper into history. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I'm glad you, you brought that up and showed how this book is written to give the power and to value the power from the natural world.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I have to imagine that that's in some way, shape, or form really impacted, right? By the fact that I think Tolkien fought in World War I and he's writing this around World War mm-hmm. II. So he's seeing both of these like, Massive industrial developments in both sort of the daily lives of the people around him, but also in war and that's impacting his country, his fellow people, and it's happening on kind of a mass scale and so I can't I can't disentangle those two things when I read this book, and it feels like we're talking about some of those same themes. In a still in a you know high fantasy world, but kind of drawing out those nuggets and those those parallels to what was happening at the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on with that.
0: So those are my examples. There are a lot. There are lots of different kinds of power, is what I took away yes. from this chapter.
1: <laughs> yes. And so much in this chapter specifically to look at. So thank you for guiding us through what was actually only a few pages but somehow Mm -hmm. fits an entire like hours worth of battle from the movie right it is some dense reading
0: i will say as i was trying to make my way through it this chapter took me longer than other longer chapters Mm -hmm. for the sheer number of things that happened, conversations trying to keep track of movements it was um it was dense
1: did you have a favorite part from this chapter i know the the battles are so iconic in the movies it's easy to like pick Mm -hmm. on oh i love it when legolas slides down the the stairs on the shield or when aragorn tosses Gimli into the hordes but was there a part from from the book that you that really stuck out to you that you enjoyed seeing
0: I think I like most the same idea that that's in the movie where Legolas and Gimli have this very playful yes. banter throughout this very grim situation about how many orcs that they've killed and it <laughs> is different than the way that it happens in the movie but it is still delightful. Yes. Um and so that part I
1: found deeply enjoyable. Yeah, I I enjoyed that as well. That's such a such a joyful part of this otherwise like pretty dark chapter. Right.
0: And I like that, so at some point, in particular, they can't find Gimli. Like, they're not quite sure what's happened. He's, he's kind of been lost in the throng or whatever. And Legolas asks where he is. Aragorn says, I don't know. Legolas is like, alas, this, that is evil news. And Aragorn says, he is stout and strong. Let us hope that he will escape back to the caves. Da-da-da. And then Legolas says, that must be my hope. But I wish that he had come this way. I desire to tell Master Gimli that my tail is now 39.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. We got some other things going on, but I like that you're staying focused nope, on we're that. Counting, counting the numbers. No, I like that part too because something talks about how he's probably happy because he's in the caves and dwarves love caves. Right. Love them. He made it he to the speakeasy. The he's having a pint, <laughs> he's hanging out. Homesteep. Yes. Speakeasy. Home's deep, speakeasy. <laughs>
0: Okay, so those are my examples. I know we've kind of alluded to what quotes stood out to us from the chapter, but did you have some, some notable Talking with Tolkien quotes? Ugh.
1: Yes, there's so many good ones. One of the ones that I love that I have had underlined for forever is from Gimli on page 147. Ever my heart rises as we draw near the mountains. Which is, you know, it's just nice. Everyone loves going out. Well, I don't know. Most people like going out to the woods. The mountains are uh, a draw to to almost everyone. And I just like that Gimli gets that little quote there. Mm -hmm. The other one that I liked is a two-parter. So on page 152, Aragorn says, Yet dawn is ever the hope of men. And then a couple pages later on 156, aragorn is talking with the urukai and they're like uh, do you want to see how cool we are what are you looking at <laughs> and aragorn says i looked out to see the dawn and then they they say a couple more fighting words and he goes none knows what the new day shall bring him and those three quotes together all aragorn talking about the dawn uh i think I saw a lot of similarities to what Legolas said way back at the beginning of this book on page 23, where he says, and I brought this one up when we did this chapter, The Writers of Rohan, quote, yet do not cast all hope away. Tomorrow is unknown. Read oft is found at the rising of the sun. So there are just lots of moments in this first, the first volume of part two about the dawn and sun rising. And I wanted to... Call our attention to that. Mm-hmm. So the last one that I'll I'll share is from Theoden, and I know it's it's in the movie. It's a well known quote, but I love how he is in the middle of this battle, and he says, quote, The world changes, and all that once was strong now proves unsure. How shall any tower withstand such numbers and such reckless hate?" And I just think reckless hate particularly is such a good way to describe, like, truly terrible acts. When I see things in in the news in in our life that are just absolutely horrendous, I think reckless hate is often so apt a way to describe the way that people act in those moments. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful to Tolkien for for giving us that phrase to describe moments like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Those are my talking with Tolkings.
0: Those are really delightful ones. And I think ones that are a nice parallel to our theme today as far as the power of words, the power to be able to describe things, and the power of the power of hope. The only one that I had that you hadn't is kind of a silly one on page 152 with Blessed Little Gimli who says, quote, We do not shape stone with battle axes nor with our fingernails, said Gimli, but I will help as I may. And I like this quote in particular because he's having a conversation with someone in Helm's Deep where they are talking about, you know, really working with the stone in Helm's Deep. And they're like, you know how to work with stone. And Gimli's Mm, like, mm -hmm. yeah, but we don't shape it with like (laughs) weapons or my hands. So I'll help where I can. Or like I guess. <laughs> in
1: a ten-minute span, but sure, yes, let me let me pitch in. <laughs> right. Yeah, he had so much sass in the middle of this battle. He is a robust conversationalist, and the fact that we are in the middle of a war did not stop him from having some having some comments, which I love. Yeah, we do. We support it. Okay. Well. We have talked about the chapter. We've talked about the themes. We've talked about the bits that we liked and how incorrect Aomer is in his opinions on house guests. (laughs) I think all that's left for us to to hit then is the action item. Did you bring one for the listeners and myself today?
0: I sure did. And we've prefaced it throughout the episode. So hopefully it'll be kind of a natural little segue for the listeners. What I want you to do, it's kind of a two-parter, One, I want you to find something that you feel hopeful about. Like, actually are hopeful about, not just kind of grit your teeth through it, yeah, I guess I'm hopeful, but like, truly in your heart, you feel hopeful. And then, much like Aragorn, I want you to help others to feel hopeful about it, too. So as it comes up in conversation, really try and name what makes you feel hopeful, actions that you've seen people take, something that you read, whatever it is, bring it to that conversation, bring it to that moment. And if you need some help getting started, maybe ask someone you trust what makes them feel hopeful. As another fandom would tell you, with great power comes great responsibility, and hope is a great power. So if you have it, it is your great responsibility to share it with others.
1: I feel like I very frequently remind people of, I of it as like the realistic point of view but could perhaps be considered the negative spin Mm -hmm. and so I want to I want to practice this and I want to look for hope and spread the hope because you're right that is more powerful and people get enough realism as it is so let's be let's be a little bit more hopeful in this and I will say you
0: are not alone that is sometimes uh, often the thing that I bring to Mm -hmm. conversations as well so lately I've been trying to practice a pragmatic Mm -hmm. hope, so something that I truly see or can manifest that is tangible to me or tangible in the world, so it doesn't feel misguided or too sunshiny, because that's really Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe not my personality so much, but still that the hope is there and that's something that we can track and that we can fan that flame, right? And that's more likely to be generative than when we are often talking about what's going wrong or what not what's not going mm-hmm. well
1: we have some practical parents and i think maybe they might have uh <laughs> spread that that hereditary gene to us so we're just reframing <laughs> we're practicing a reframing that's right. <laughs> that's right but that's a that's a great action item thank you for for bringing that
0: well thank you for our conversation today what a delight
1: this chapter i was. know i mean my goodness this is this is my favorite part of the book i just can't get enough cannot get enough Mm-mm. of of all of it
0: <laughs> would it be enough today's podcast was brought to you by strange dwarf folk as carried to you on stout legs and defended by hard axes our music is by robert zahn and simon dom if you have thoughts on today's episode or a homework assignment send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in Fellowship.
1: Juicy like juicy couture sweatpants. That's what I wanted to say. Or fruit gushers. That's how juicy this episode is going to be. Wowza!
0: Um, two
1: very dated comparisons. <laughs>
0: I was transported to the early
1: off point of view. Of the year is 2004. Mm-hmm.
0: Highlights are choppy. Pants are somehow very low but also very tight. It was a time.
1: Lots of very thin scarves. Ugh. Okay, I'm ready to start the episode now. <laughs> I just had to get had to get all that off my chest. Right. <laughs> The gushers, the juicy couture, yeah. we're ready now.
0: hmm